Hello, everyone, and welcome to 35mm Perspective, a podcast where we watch movies and tell you what we thought about them. My name is Jacob Coots. I am your host today, and I am joined by my co-host, Grant Vaver, with a silent A. Grant, how are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty well, Jacob. How about yourself? Not, not doing too bad. It's been a very interesting week. Uh, a movie, we watched a movie and it was kind of a a culture shock for us, Well, so we'll have to talk about that. Uh, today, our show is a show in two parts. Hopefully you guys are going to be getting used to the new format. All we're going to be doing after this intro is a trailer section where we talk about some movies that are coming out in the future, and then we'll be moving into our feature presentation, which this week is The Farewell, which was... Uh, an interesting movie, like you said, Jacob, a bit of culture shock, even though we were just watching a film. Well, with that being said, let's just get into the trailers. All right, Grant, before we get into our feature presentation, which was, as we just mentioned, The Farewell, it's time to talk about two movies that I think are going to have impacts in different ways. The first being A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yes. I'm pretty excited for this film. Anything about Mr. Rogers is obviously going to have a lot of wholesome content, very good feelings, but you still want to cry. This has pretty decent casting. Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers and Matthew Rees as Tom Junode. So this is a real story that happened and seems like a pretty interesting one. Yeah, definitely. And I mean... I've never considered who would play Mr. Rogers in a film about him, but in terms of big box office Hollywood stars, I think Tom Hanks is probably about as good as you're going to get without, again, finding a small-time actor that is able to look and speak a lot like Mr. Rogers. I think Tom Hanks, from what I've seen from the trailers, nails it. Exactly. I had to... I double-taked. I, I was wondering if it was actual footage or not they were showing from the show. So very good casting, I think, there. And the movie's produced by Sony, who have been in the news for more than just this movie recently. But this seems like it's a movie that will earn people's good graces and, and not the whole Disney fiasco that's been going on. I also am curious to see... So there was a, a movie documentary that released last year called won't you be my neighbor and i was very confused when i first saw this trailer in the theaters i wasn't sure what the difference was and then i looked into that and yeah two very different tracks for the same person so mr rogers getting a lot of love in cinema recently but for good reason he was a person with a lot of love to give like you said won't you be my neighbor was the documentary following kind of the life of Fred Rogers and how he came to get the TV show. And this movie follows the true story of Rogers and Junot, a cynical reporter who was assigned to write a piece on Mr. Rogers, who you see in the trailer and his girlfriend says something about like, don't you ruin my childhood for me, which I think was a sentiment echoed by a lot of people, not only with this movie, but also with won't you be my neighbor I know that during its release and conception, a lot of people were concerned that something horrible or 
marring to Mr. Rogers' character might come out, but luckily none of that happened because it seems like there's nothing bad to come out. He seems like a genuinely really good guy, and you see some of that also in this trailer and just how much love there was for him, not only for the people that saw him on TV, but the people in his actual physical community. Agreed. I think that line was very selectively chosen for trailers because I had that same thought. I didn't really watch Mr. Rogers growing up, but when I watched this, I was like, oh no, is something bad going to happen? And then they said, don't ruin my childhood. And I was like, okay, that's that's probably a feeling most people have. So he's part of that holy trinity with Bob Ross and Steve Irwin of people who are just so wholesome. Uh, and even if you try to dig dirt on them, I don't think you could. A lot of popularity for this movie. It seems like people are very excited to go watch it. It has comparable social media shares and discussions to Venom and Spider-Man Homecoming. Two movies that did very well at the box office. Uh, but I think this movie has, a, at least seems to have a bit more substance than your average comic book film. Yeah, and we'll, I mean, we'll know more when we see it on November 22nd of this year. Now, the second movie that we're going to talk about today... I don't like to use the term Oscar bait, but it's kind of Oscar bait, it feels like, mostly because it's based on the 2014 Pulitzer Prize novel for fiction, The Goldfinch. The trailer does a pretty good job of setting up the beginning of the movie and showing us who the main character is going to be, but then it kind of does a much better job of obfuscating what the rest of the film is going to be, but again, based on a lot of the emotion, the way that the trailer is designed, which I can only imagine is how the rest of the film is designed. A lot of these dramatic emotional elements that we tend to see in a lot of the, if not Oscar winning movies, Oscar nominated movies tend to have. So I, I would be very amazed if it's not in contention for the Oscars. And I'm assuming that's why it's coming out this year versus early next year, which seems like maybe a less crowded time for something like this, but I'm sure they just wanted to get it in under the Oscars deadline. Certainly to beat that deadline, and also because more recent well, movies later in the year tend to have a higher chance at winning just due to recency effects. The first thought I had looking at this trailer was, I'm not sure entirely what it's about, but I still feel emotions, and so I'm probably going to see it at the Oscars. I'm glad you shared that same sentiment. I mean, it looks like it's going to be a fine movie, a great cast. You have Ansel Elgort, who was in The Fault in Our Stars and Baby Driver. Finn Wolfhard, who was in Stranger Things. It, he's practically what people think of when you say Stranger Things. Uh, Nicole Kidman and Jeffrey Wright, who was in movies like The Source Code, Hunger Games. He's not Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Fishburne sorry. So if you have seen a small movie called The Matrix at some point in your life, uh, he's not that person. It's... A pretty long book from my understanding of it. Yeah, it's almost 800 pages, and a lot of people have described it as Dickensian, and, you know, it seems like it's very wholly focused on a character versus a, a story. It's, again, there's the typical conflicts, right, where it's like man versus nature, man versus man, man versus self, and this seems very, very much like a man versus self and maybe even a little bit man versus society thing. But again, it's that also from my experience tends to be some of the movies that are Oscar nominated are those kind of introspective films where the main character isn't necessarily dealing with outside problems so much as dealing with problems within themselves based on 
problems that arose from the outside that caused deeper resonating issues because straight up in the trailer we see what appears to be um his his mother theo the main character's mother killed in a terrorist attack seemingly at an art museum while they were looking at her favorite painting the goldfinch after which the novel and movie are named and that very clearly seems to cause some trauma in in his life which i believe is going to be the onus for a lot of the events that we see following throughout the film. I hope this movie does touch on a lot of themes that would be hard to navigate. So that introspection sort of survivor's guilt that seems like is present. Some powerful shots of main character in the fetal position, stuff like that. There also seems to be a lot of struggles with familial problems. It's unclear, but it seems like his dad at one point it might be abusive grief terrorism so there's a lot this movie can touch on it and i hope it does go on some less approached themes but i guess we'll see what it does uh, and more on september 13th so just around the corner yeah and i guess we can go ahead and announce that we are actually going to be reviewing the goldfinch here in just a couple of weeks and that is actually also going to be the episode where we do our quarterly review so instead of this trailer section like we would normally have it, we're going to go back and look at the scores that we gave to all of the movies that we've reviewed thus far, talk about if we want to change any of them, why we want to change them, and just a generalized look back to see if we maybe got some things right or if we maybe got some things wrong. That will be a fun episode and sort of our own little in-house informal Oscars. Yeah, and with that, let's just roll right on into our main event, the feature presentation, which is... The Farewell. We will be right back. All right, and here we are, our feature presentation, which again this week is The Farewell, directed by Lulu Wang and actually based on some events that were in her life. We'll we'll maybe touch on that in the spoiler-free and definitely talk about it in the spoiler section. Sure. But we will get there. Our leads are Nora Lum, also known as Aquafina, the actress and apparent rapper, which I didn't know until I just looked her (laughs) up, uh, playing the lead of Billy. Uh, Zhao Shuzhen playing Nai Nai, Billy's grandmother. Zi Ma uh, playing Hyun, Billy's dad. And Diana Lin playing Jian, who was Billy's mother. Um, There were, it was actually kind of a big ensemble cast, but those were a lot of the characters that we mostly saw. And so (laughs) those are the ones that we tended to focus on. Uh, another kind of art house film, uh, A24 purchased this from Sundance for between 6 and $7 million, and it was actually produced for around $3 million. And again, since we started doing this last week, I don't think this will come as a surprise to anybody, but there is not a post credit scene, so <laughs> if you were wondering, you don't have to stick <laughs> around. This doesn't really feel like the kind of movie that needs a post credit scene, um, but just in case you were wondering... There you have it. A sequel would be a little bit a little bit troubling, more sad. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel like I say it every week that this was a tough movie to review, but this was probably one of the hardest movies, not necessarily to review, but for me to rate because it's it, I felt almost like we talked about in our introductions, there was a bit of culture shock here because this is a movie primarily focused on a lot of uh Asian and Eastern cultures and me being, you know, white anglican american they're not cultures or traditions that i'm used to and so it was a bit of whiplash where you you immediately i immediately looked at some of the things that they were doing and talking about and i'm like well no that's wrong isn't the 
the correct word to use here, but it's like, well, that doesn't seem right. And then, you know, I realized that that's my perspective and how I grew up. And so it was very difficult to rate and even think about because, again, I'm looking at it from a very different perspective than a lot of the characters, which was cool. It was cool to stretch myself and try and think about it that way. But just from a filmmaking perspective and a storytelling perspective, it was very hard to give this an actual numeric rating. And I think you shared some similar issues. Am I right, Jacob? I wholeheartedly agree with that. And for mostly the same reasons, being in a different culture than the movie this was based on, not only in terms of East versus West, but individualistic versus collectivistic, that made it a little bit harder just to see parse out what was perhaps a movie element and which was actually a cultural element. Because you consider both of those things when you're reviewing a movie. Our empirical scores, I don't want to say they're less important for this movie, but just keep in mind, we'll preface going in that we are reviewing this movie somewhat from a Western perspective. We're trying to take, of course, a different view. Uh, but if uh, I, I or we portray any inaccuracies or commit any like microaggressions or anything like that, we do apologize. Uh, we're here to uh, review this movie as honestly as we can. Uh, and, and it was a pretty good movie, so... I guess we'll just jump into the spoiler-free segment here. What what did you think, Grant? What was your sense of this movie? I I liked it a, a lot. I think there was some some interesting elements, some interesting filmic elements. I don't again, I don't like using the term Oscar bait, but very art housey uh, elements. It's here, here's what I'll say. It is certainly not going to have shots similar to like a Kubrick film or a Marvel film or a fast and furious movie because this isn't again the story that's being told i'm assuming that again goldfinch which we talked about earlier which is much more a story about character which this is very similar in that it's about character the shots will be much more similar where it's not going to be hard fast cuts because there don't need to be we need to have much more lengthy brooding shots to watch how characters interact with each other and with the world around them we're not jumping between six different set pieces because everybody's together and the conflict here is the way that they're interacting on a societal and like in the ways that they're talking versus you know you're racing or crashing cars or you're punching each other or trying to save the universe this isn't a movie at its core about trying to save the universe or at, at its core about really trying to necessarily save anyone and you get that in the trailer where you know if you haven't seen the trailer already sorry i'm going to give a bit of a spoiler but this is in the trailer so it's not even really a spoiler the premise of the movie is that billy's grandmother nai nai is dying of stage four cancer and she's living in china while billy and her nuclear family are living in the u.s in new york and they go to China to see her under the guise of going to Billy's cousin, Hao Hao's wedding. But the real reason that they're going is to see Nai Nai before she passes away. And the tagline of this film is based on the real lie, which is that nobody told Nai Nai that she has cancer. They told her, oh, we went to the doctor, but healthy as a horse, you're totally fine. And so everybody's trying to kind of hold it together and not tell her. And it's it's this lie that they're keeping with her. And it's not about saving Nai Nai really because that's again very hard to do to save someone from cancer but it's more about conflict within the family as to whether or not to tell her and to not let it slip and also to try and keep her happy and make her feel like she is still very healthy 
which in some way could be perceived as saving her because they want to save her last few months. And I guess it's a cultural element, but we'll talk about that more later on on how just it's not a traditional save, but they're trying to save her last few months of life and make them as, as joyous as possible. So it's a film that, again, won't have those hard cuts like you were talking about. It's very much in, I call it the Sundance Film Festival genre. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> Oscar Bader, many different ways to construe that, but those long cuts are present, and I think sometimes they serve a good purpose, and other times they they were, for me, a little bit awkward. Just cuts on long things or long shots after not necessarily emotional things. It's just a different type of movie. It's, it's compiled and edited in a, in a different way, and so you'll see that it, it's shot in a very similar way to Midsommar in that it has those lingering shots. Sound is not really... A lot of movies nowadays are noisy. There's always background noise even going on. So when you have when you watch a film that has total silence at some elements, it's it's different. It's almost a little jarring, but in a good way. It gives you time to reflect about the, the themes of the film, and that's something you'll be doing a lot, especially if this is a personally relevant movie for you. Yeah, the sound design here was really interesting. There was a lot of very concerted decisions on when they use sound and how they use sound and and how they use soundtrack when and what specific sort of music that they used. And in terms of the lengthy shots and some of what the shots were of, it's it's a little bit hard because I want to ascribe some of that to symbolism or a deeper meaning. And And I think some of it is, but it's also hard because, again some of the most of this really is based in generally based in fact and so it's you know it's much easier in a fiction story to give a lot of symbolism or this you know this tree actually existed but it was a bigger symbol for the character's mother and it was nurturing or whatever versus here it's much more about these are actual events that happened generally speaking and so you can't always describe a lot of that to symbolism, which which I'll get more into in the spoiler section. There was a couple big pieces that I was sitting in the theater trying to decide whether they meant something <laughs> deeper. And I think to some degree, I think to some degree they do, but not always. And I, I already talked about the trailer a little bit, but it's interesting because it really only paints half of the picture, which is the lie that was told. The other half isn't even really shown at all in the trailer, so I don't really want to get into it until the spoiler section. But what I will say is if you haven't seen it yet, there's... Maybe not a half of the movie that you're missing, but there's definitely another conflict that occurs that I wasn't ready for, but that was very, it was very interesting, especially from the perspective of where I was sitting. It was much different from the trailer for me, not only in the half of the story that was missing, but the trailer made it seem like it was going to be a very happy or, or at least active film in some sense. It had two very upbeat tracks with it. And it's not that type of movie. So the trailer is a good thing to watch, and it's a very well-made trailer. But keep in mind, it's not going to have the same tone as the trailer, and you're you're still missing a good deal of the movie, which I like. Too many movies nowadays spoil what's in the actual movie. That being said, just having a movie on this topic in general is very good for a lot of different people. Many of my friends and persons online have had similar stories to the ones in this film. And they found it empowering, emotionally impactful for persons who aren't in this culture. 
it can be really interesting and also very informative and perspective opening to see that this is a very common thing just across the the big water thing <laughs> to to have this be a film that's very culturally accurate to my understanding and also to have it be told to a wide audience was cool in some way yeah i'd agree and in terms of you called it a sundance film which i think is a a good descriptor i've seen it described as a drama and i think dramedy is actually this is one of the few times where (laughs) it's a fairly good description in that it definitely has a lot of drama the whole point of the plot is a pretty dramatic plot where again you're trying to to tell a lie to somebody about their own health that's (laughs) there's a lot of weight and drama there but there were so many comedic elements throughout the movie nine i was hilarious without getting too deep into it in our spoiler section like far and away the best character as far as i'm concerned she was so funny with and very matriarchal grandma like and it's funny to me that (laughs) across culture and i mean i mean it probably varies culture to culture but at least looking from again a very anglican culture and then watching this film and and knowing some friends who are of various asian uh, different asian descents it's very funny to me to see that in a lot of ways grandmothers are kind of the same everywhere (laughs) very much so they are a uh, worldwide staple and they're always the the mobster of the family sort of that matriarchal (laughs) it's their grandma and so it i agree it was cool to see that also in this film all right so jacob again i know that this this was difficult it was certainly difficult for me like i i had written all of my talking points um and then i just stared at the rating the blank rating slot that we've got in our show notes and i stared at that for a very long time um so again i know this was difficult and like you pointed out don't necessarily take our empirical scores as gospel because this movie goes a lot deeper than that but if you had to score it out of 10 how would you score it first i'll give the context of the general reception for this film which was very good on rotten tomatoes it got a 99 percent from critics and an 87 percent from the audience on Metacritic, it was a 90 from the critics and an 8.1 from the audience. So those favorable or not ratings are almost close to the raw scores, which is insane. It did not get a score on CinemaScore because it wasn't a large enough film. And if you remember our CinemaScore industry talk, that kind of shows you that this movie isn't as widespread as I would like it to be. I, I think this movie has it's modestly successful but for how well i think it talks about a number of issues i i wish it was at least big enough to get a cinema score rating that being said there were some elements that i think were i mean just common to sundance films that i don't really like i gave it a 7 out of 10 this could have been it was impossible to give this movie a score i settled on a number um what about you grant i mean it was really hard we i i was talking to you as i was trying to figure out what to score it because i couldn't find anything really wrong with it necessarily or nothing hugely wrong anyway at the same time it didn't it didn't feel like a 10 to me certainly it wasn't a bad movie by any stretch the direction was good again the sound design was incredible the use of sound The acting was all really, really good and felt very organic, like a lot more so than a lot of the other movies that we've watched, because maybe because, like I said, this is based so heavily in fact. 
like you said, it was impossible to score. I I ended up going with an eight and a half because I I just don't know. It was it could have gone higher, maybe I could have gone lower, but that felt about right to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we can talk about why we specifically gave these pseudo ratings for the movie. But if you haven't watched the movie, just pause this right now. Go watch the film. Seriously, go watch it. It's it's really, really good. It's going to touch on a lot of things no matter who you are. Exactly. And we'll still be here anyway. So even if you pause it, even if you close the device and app you're watching it on, you can still get to this part of the review. <laughs> so there's no reason not to. Just go watch it. Okay, Grant. I just want to say, again, with a film of this caliber, the cultural elements of this film were, were I think, very well done and provided some of the tensest moments. Yeah. And not only between Eastern and Western cultures, but even within Eastern cultures between, like, Japan and China. There was a huge divide even within this family about people who had left China for Japan. So I think it was eye-opening not being as close to Asia um, to see, I don't know if it's nationalism or what, but very personal feelings and divides within all types of cultures. Everything was happening. Yeah, that was the second conflict that I was talking about earlier that doesn't I didn't feel like was shown really at all in the trailer. And it was pretty heavily on display between the family members that had stayed in China versus the family members that had moved to Japan versus Billy's family that had moved to the U.S. and become kind of almost a little bit Anglicanized. And again, like Billy's father kind of is having the most trouble out of uh, between him and his brother about telling their mother, agreeing with Billy a little bit, saying like this would be illegal in the U.S. Like, how can we be doing this? And there was the really tense scene that you and I talked about um, offcast, the the dinner scene where, I mean, that was like, that, that that was like sweating bullets, even though it was very low stakes. It was, you know, I was feeling uncomfortable in the theater. And you can very clearly see that a lot of the, like Billy and How How are feeling very uncomfortable too, as their parents argue over, you should have stayed in China, or it was better that we moved to Japan, or no, we're having a great time in America. And why are you sending your son to America for college if you don't think it's so great? And oh, it's more opportunity there, but he's going to come back. Sure, he will. Again, that, that was very uncomfortable. It's like when you go to, it was like one of your own personal family get togethers or family reunions, and suddenly everybody's had a few drinks and they're arguing, and you don't really want to argue, but you also can't politely leave the conversation. As a viewer, <laughs> it felt a lot like you're in that situation. It really did. I that is one of my three kind of top scenes from this movie, but that one made me the most uncomfy because it didn't have like a good resolution to it. No. I, I was squirming a little bit, and so for the purpose of that scene, it, it achieved it very well. And it kind of, I don't want to say it was in contrast to the rest of the movie, but it was the height, the climax of this cultural conflict, that second conflict you were talking about in the spoiler-free section. Uh, and there was a little bit of falling action after that, maybe a little bit of resolution, but all it did was create more questions for Billy. I Should I even be in America anymore? And so it, it, it was a very well done scene. Yeah. And to that end, I think, like you said, there wasn't a very clear end to the conflict, which made it more powerful, I feel like, 
because especially with familial ties and things of that nature, and especially in real life, like I said, which this is based on, things don't always have that neat conclusion in five minutes. You know, it's it's life isn't a sitcom, life isn't a movie, happily ever after doesn't always happen, and sometimes sadly ever after doesn't always happen. There isn't always an ever after. Sometimes this conflict stews and festers forever and I think that that was an interesting way of showing that by again there was no clear resolution it was just passed over and glossed over and that that was something else that this film did very well so the tagline for the movie is based on the real lie right and that real lie is very clearly not telling Nai that she has cancer but it's interesting to me I, I kept thinking that line kept bouncing through my head throughout the movie, especially because it popped up right at the beginning. And it was interesting to see just how many lies were told to everybody in the family from different characters at different times. Like, Billy doesn't tell her parents that she didn't get the, what was it? The fellowship. The the fellowship, thank you. She doesn't tell them that uh, she didn't get the fellowship. She keeps saying, oh, I haven't heard back yet. She refuses to talk to them about how she's doing with money. Uh, her father tells her mother that he has quit smoking, and yet he's downstairs with his brother smoking. He supposedly quit drinking or doesn't drink as much, and then he's getting drunk with his brother. Billy's mother says that she's never liked Nai-Nai and that Nai-Nai never liked her, and yet it seems like they're getting on totally fine, and her mother is crying when they're leaving Nai-Nai. And so it's, it was an interesting film, not only talking about the lie that they told to their grandmother, but also talking a lot more about the lies that we tell each other, and especially to the ones we love, to not only help them, but to help ourselves. And that was something that it wasn't clear, um, and this is a whole cultural discussion, but exactly, is the lie for the family or themselves or both? And obviously the lie for Nai and I really had a burden on them. So the big lie had that sort of, um, you know, the family carrying the burden. Her uncle says that at one point, but all these little lies. And that was something I'd noticed, especially Billy's and, and her father's. It, it was a movie that showed the complexities of being in a family and how you sometimes hide things from them for different reasons. So it was a very real movie in that sense. And, and that, that made the characters so frustrating. Throughout the whole movie, the characters were a little bit frustrating. I'm like, just tell them the truth or tell them about this fellowship. I, One of my problems, I didn't really know what the fellowship was for for 99% of the movie, but it seemed, and it was of varying importance to the plot. Um, but they were frustrating for the lies. And also, they were really mean and confronting to Billy for the same behavior I felt like they were committing. They're like, you won't be able to hide your feelings. But at various points throughout the movie, they were each character was very bad at handling that emotional struggle of knowing Nai Nai had cancer and not telling her. Everybody but Billy basically almost breaks down and tells her. It feels like they keep telling Billy, like, oh, you're so bad at keeping secrets, you can't come with us. And yet she, I feel like, keeps the secret best. And at least in the part of the film that we see, she seems to interact with Nai Nai almost the most of course again this is told pseudo from billy's perspective or following billy as our main character so that's the perspective we're going to get but with that in mind still like i i i agree with you that they gave her a really hard time for problems that they were having personally which again you can maybe ascribe a little bit to humanity where you see the things that you like least about yourself in others and so maybe again maybe there was some symbolism there it's hard to attribute 
some of that to symbolism versus reality, but do with that as you will, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I going to uh, just the thoughts this movie sparked, though, it, it made me think a lot about the movie. Sometimes I was thinking and not watching the movie at points, and so it did a good job of uh, making you think, but also almost too well, where I, I lost track of the movie at times. Uh, because it is pretty heavy. You, you want you ponder whether humans really are prepared for death or are we really not ready for it as we should be. Any moment could be our last. And so I got into a lot of deep thoughts about that in the theater. Because at, at some point, and especially older in life, we're more likely to die. And, and yet, obviously, it's very distressing when a relative passes away, especially a grandma. So... It was hard. My own. I have some personal relevance. I believe you do too, Grant. Yeah. Um, that made this movie extra impactful. Made you question whether you're making sacrifices for your family. The importance of her just dropping everything to go to China anyway against her family's wishes for her family. It just it asked a lot of questions, and they weren't rhetorical. I think the movie wanted you to think about these things, regardless of the lens you had, whatever cultural perspective you were framing it from. Yeah, and it like we talked about, it didn't always answer the questions, which sometimes can be a hindrance to a film. But I think it was actually a good thing with this particular one, because again, there's a lot of people, it, it seems like everyone nowadays in particular has some sort of relation to cancer, right? Like you've got a friend or a family member or a you know pseudo family member, like they've been a family friend for so long, they might as well be your uncle or something. Everybody has been touched by that. And so a lot of the questions it asks and doesn't answer, I think it does by design to make you think about your own life and your own perspective and what would you do in this situation? But also you probably have a situation similar. What are you doing about it? How are you going to reevaluate post-watching this? Which I think is something that good art tends to do. Not only does it give you questions about it and potentially answer them about itself, but it pushes those similar questions onto you and it can't answer them for you. It forces you to answer those questions on your own. And I, I feel like this did a really good job of that. Moving to something a little bit, maybe a little bit goofier. Can we talk about Aiko for a second? Who was <laughs> Hao's fiance and how much of a trooper she was through this entire thing. Like I, I believe the implication was that she was from Japan. If, if they said it, I missed it. Um, yeah, they said that. But so, Oh, did they? Okay. So she was Japanese she does not speak Chinese, which they did mention. Her wedding, real or not, which, again, was sort of unclear. We'll get to that in a minute. Her wedding, real or not, was accelerated and not about her, which, again, maybe that's a Western uh, culture thing. I'm, I'm not familiar with uh, Eastern weddings and how they focus on that. But with that in mind, like, was not about her. She barely knew the larger side of Hao's family. And, I like, it seemed like they met within the course of a week and suddenly had to become family and then go do this thing. She went to all of the family events for family that she didn't know, like their grandfather. Uh, she couldn't speak to any of them. She was following customs that she didn't understand, one, because they aren't her customs, and also because she literally, once again, cannot understand what the people are saying as they're speaking to, again, like, like Billy's grandfather's gravestone. She's there trying to be a part of it and, like, doing a very good job, like being very respectful, doing everything that she can, but she literally has no idea <laughs> what is going on, probably. And they're all kind of mean to her, too. They, at varying points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess 
ignorance is bliss and that she couldn't really hear the mean things they were saying, but definitely a, a character who went through a lot. And that was a true element in that that wedding actually did happen in real life, I believe. Yeah, it, it did. But the movie does not give that same clarity. No, it doesn't. I, I again, watch, as I tend to do, I watch this movie with my girlfriend. She thought their wedding was fake. And it was just like, they posed it and put it together so that everyone could go. I was under the impression it was real. And reading through your notes, you weren't sure whether it was real or fake. (laughs) I wasn't for sure because I think the worst part of the movie was the wedding planning phase. Because they were talking about how, you know, they're having this wedding as an excuse to see her. But then at varying points, it seems like Aiko doesn't want to be with How How at all. And so I was like, well, is this a, f- a farce then? And then they're just not going to be married afterwards. The scene where she had to push her head on her soon-to-be husband's shoulders. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was confused. And it really didn't... By the end of the movie, I was like, it was probably a real wedding. But even then, until I heard that they got married in real life, was I like, okay, it was a real wedding, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it that wasn't very well described. And if it was a real wedding, people were very concerned about the cost of the wedding and like making, not going over the top for it. But if it was a real wedding, even if it was a rushed wedding to see Nai Nai, I don't know, maybe you'd still want to go treat it like a normal wedding. So even their treatment of how to, or their decision of how to treat this wedding kind of confused me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's talk about the very end of the movie because it didn't end the way I think a lot of people expected it to and so let me preface this by getting into something else that I I had on my notes which is so like I said it's hard to ascribe some symbolism to certain things in the film because it's generally based on true events but one thing in particular that they tended to linger on in a couple different shots where there were a couple different times where Billy ended up with a bird in her room the first time being when she was on the phone with Nai Nai and opens the letter to see she doesn't get the fellowship. There was a bird in her apartment at the beginning of that scene and then she opens the window, continues to talk to Nai Nai, opens the letter, and then when she looks up, the bird is gone. The second time is when she's in the hotel in China and it's the morning when Nai Nai goes to the hospital for, it seems like inflammation or pneumonia or her, her cough, something along those lines. And there's a bird in her hotel room when she wakes up, and it's it's not touched on again. And then the third time is there's a bunch of birds that go flying off of the uh, the tree that appears to be in front of Nai Nai's uh, apartment complex or home, whatever you want to call that. And it was interesting because that was something that I felt like you could maybe put some symbolism to, and I wasn't quite sure at the end what it was meant to represent because at first I was like oh so that's kind of like her grandmother watching over her maybe because or or bad news about her grandmother because or just bad news in general maybe because she gets the bad news that she doesn't get the fellowship the first time the bad news that her grandmother is in the hospital the second time or the first time you could also argue that's right around the time that she learns that um, Nanai has cancer and that they're all lying to her and all of these things. So when I initially saw that shot at the end of all the birds flying away, I immediately read that as, okay, well, the birds are flying away now and we're watching them leave. So clearly that means that Nai Nai has passed, right? 
And then you get the scene where it's like, nope, it's been six years, Nine Eyes Still Alive, which, don't get me wrong, is awesome, but confused me in terms of the symbolism, and then I realized maybe it was meant to show all the birds flying away were meant to show Billy letting go and learning to understand how important the lie was and allowing to somebody live their life for what it is versus constantly wondering about the this this inevitable death that might be creeping up on them at any time. And to to further this, I, I read an... <laughs> Excuse me. I read an interview with Lulu Wang, the director, who, again, whose life some of these events are based on. And uh, here you go. So um, the question was, Nana is still alive and now this film is premiered at Sundance. Has your family told her yet? And Wang responded, my family has not told Nana about her illness or what the movie is about. We Skyped with her yesterday and she was excited to hear that there's a packed house and she immediately said, when can I watch it? And there's an ongoing debate about how we're going to handle the situation. So it's been six years. (laughs) And Nainai, real life Nainai still does not know that she has stage four cancer, which is insanity. Again, we're not going to necessarily debate the ethics of it here, but just I felt that was a point that needed to be brought up because that's actually crazy a little bit, whether or not it was good or bad, that they were, have been able to hold that together. For so long. And to make a movie about it? I, I mean, I'm just... Yeah. Has Nainai not gone on Google? Googled this movie? Because <laughs> if she sees the trailer... She's going to find out a very important part. And so not only of the movie but also of her life maybe. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like the th- I mean the opening thing is based on an actual lie. She knows in some way this movie's about her. I mean, I feel like maybe at some point she she has to know but just hasn't come to fully realize that part. It's unclear over 6 years. I mean, it's awesome that she's doing well and I cannot say that it's a disappointing ending that Nai Nai is actually alive because that's awesome. It's based on a real thing. I usually like fictional deaths at the end of movies. I can't be disappointed here, but I almost felt emotionally cheated in some way, S- sort of along the vein you were talking about where, and especially with her waving at the end, I was like, damn, this is just so sad. This is very, it hit me. And then instantly jumped to, oh, she's alive for six years. And I'm like, it was just jarring in some way. It it was. And, and so I, I'm not disappointed, but I just felt like it was such a jump to have the, and the very colorful, real video of her doing stuff versus the very dark and not very saturated waving goodbye. So that was a good real life ending but maybe not the best movie ending based on how they had set that up yeah and it was interesting because again i we've talked heavily about sound design in this movie and soundtrack as well it was interesting because to my recollection or at least this stood out to me as i was watching it the only time that they used a song that had english lyrics because there was instrumentals and then also songs that i assume were chinese i don't speak chinese but i i believe that's what they were um, the only time that they used a song with English lyrics was right at the end when Billy and her family were in the cab going back to the airport. And so again, because of that, it felt very much pushing you in one direction like, oh yeah, this is the last time she's going to ever see or maybe even ever speak to Nai Like I, I truly believe that maybe before they got home, Nai was going to have died. And so it was, <laughs> it was an odd, almost misdirect, like you said. You can't be upset about it. That's awesome. But it was the way that the film set it up. It was that ending was quite jarring to find out in a 
good way. Yeah, yeah, very, it's just so many mixed emotions there. And even the build up to that, like the wedding, my favorite scene, my favorite two scenes were at the wedding. So I didn't love the wedding planning scenes, but the actual wedding itself I found was, was pretty well done. When the brother was toasting at the wedding, the older, her uncle, and, you know, was saying these things and then talked to his mom directly from the stage and started crying. But like, that was, that hit me the most. It was a very impactful scene where he couldn't hold it in anymore. And he was the most tough, I'd say the most stern throughout the whole film. So to see him just totally break character and and have that very raw moment with his mother was non-negligible. And also contributed to the air of, oh, wow, this is really the movie's going to end in that direction. But also my, my other really good scene, I thought, was when they were playing. I forgot what the game was, but it was kind of like the night, the, the 70s show table rotation camera. I don't know what it, I, again, I don't speak the language, so it didn't, uh, I didn't encode that in my brain. But it was just all of them having fun together despite this lingering terminal illness and it like they they let go of course uh, how how was drinking very much during the game to cope and it ended very sad but just for that moment to have fun with their grandma at this wedding that also hit me in a, in a different way uh, and, and made me ponder some other things so i mean to say all that built up to the ending and it, and it was different than what you expected that being said, I thought the third act, which is kind of different for the summer, the third act was the strongest part of this film for me. Uh, yeah, I think I'd agree. the The whole thing was impactful in varying ways and in different conflicts of varying degrees of importance. But yeah, when the it, it was almost interesting because in terms of all of the conflicts, the third act was almost the least impactful to all of them because that was when everyone realized these minor conflicts that they were having weren't necessarily as important as this big one of keeping up this facade and allowing somebody to, again, live their life without this fear of the shadow of death or whatever creeping over them. So it it was a very well-crafted, not only third scene, but a well-crafted build-up to that scene to allow it to be as powerful as it was. And actually, scratch that, I, the most emotionally impactful moment for me, actually, was, and, and this also changes the real ending of her being alive, the effects of this scene, but when she was saying, oh, and I'm just going to give you the an even bigger wedding and celebration, and you're like, no, Nina, you're dying, you can't do that, when she was talking to Billy and just how great her future wedding was going to be, that hit me the most, because she didn't know um, that she was dying. And then I guess in, in some ways, I just wish we had the journey of them finding out while Nina is still kicking, she's still alive. We still get to have time with her. And so we found out at the end that Nina was still alive, but they're kind of figuring it out as they go along. These six years they lived, not knowing how long Nina was going to be around. Um, yeah, that's true. And something I hadn't considered that, <laughs> We talk about emotional impact, but let's talk about the real emotional impact, which is that, you know, we get the immediate almost like dopamine hit of, oh, everything actually turned out all right, which, again, doesn't always happen in real life. But they, as a family, kind of have to constantly live with this idea that, oh, maybe, you know, maybe that's not forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's 
because it's this real story, there's so many different sides, the, the cinematic parts and then the real parts and then the people who are living this with this time jump. I mean, it's it's very comp complex. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I like the movie, though. Uh, and, and I did enjoy it. So I, I'm probably going to just I'm, I'm bumping my score up to an eight. I'm going to say that first time. I have changed my score while talking about a film. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, like I said, it was hard to find many things wrong. Again, the clarity in terms of whether or not the wedding was real was a big thing for me. It was a little bit, like I said, jarring to make it push so heavily that Nina, it seemed like Nina was going to die and then she's still fine. I mean, again, you can read that very much like what their real life is like where they went on this trip thinking this is the last time we're going to see Nine-Eye and then not quite as whiplashy as we get it because again it's drawn out over six years but it just keeps going and they keep realizing oh you know she hasn't passed away yet and like we continue to get this time with her so it, it, it's an interesting way of giving that same feeling to the audience again it's just harder to do when we experience this entire story in an hour and a half and they've been experiencing it over the course of six years those truly, I think, are some of my only complaints that I really have about this movie. Pretty much the same for me. Uh, in general, the movie didn't do a great job of explaining things. The purpose of the fellowship, what it was for, it, it left out a lot of details. And you could say they were trivial, but for how much they were emphasized throughout her lying to her parents about the fellowship or whatever. Just things like that, the wedding, how close they were as a couple. That was probably this movie's biggest weakness. In addition to the ending flip, which, again, we've talked about the pros and cons of. And then, just in general, some of the camera work. It wasn't clear whether long, lingering shots were meant for symbolism or reflection, or they were just long, lingering shots. The movie felt a little bit long. It wasn't that long of a movie. But I, I wonder if it was just because certain scenes felt longer than normal, and so... Instead of movies now where you don't have any time to breathe and then, oh my gosh, it's been two and a half hours. Like this movie really has a couple core messages in it and it gives you time to reflect on that. So, I mean, all these things, not a huge package of weaknesses, a lot of strengths. That being said, it just wasn't a 10. So an 8 feels like a, a fair enough score for me. But again, we've we've said time and time again, it was a tough movie to score. Yeah, and again, a numeric score doesn't necessarily do this film in particular justice. I think it can speak to everybody on a whole host of levels. A lot of people have varying personal connections that you can kind of tie to this movie. And so if you're even remotely considering it, I would very much urge you to go see it. Even if you don't have direct personal connections to, you know, a, a cancer or something like that, or a family member being hurt or having some sort of serious illness, whether again, it be cancer or something else. I recommend you still go see this because at least as American or European citizens, because there will be culture shock. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, your culture isn't the only one and the way that you see things as being correct aren't going to be viewed that way everywhere and especially with relation to family and society there isn't necessarily one correct way to view everything and for this film to be as authentic and true as it is directed by an asian director 
uh, and consisting of a lot of true cultural elements, interspersed language throughout. There's a lot of subtitle reading in this film. Um, so it just felt, feels very true as opposed to a movie that could have been directed by some white guy. I mean, it you could see the real cultural elements instilled in this film, uh, which makes you feel better than uh, some other things Hollywood has thrown out there. Yeah, especially lately. All right, Jacob, do you have any parting thoughts for the audience about this film? Not really. I think we did a good job talking about it. Just to say one more time, it wasn't the movie I expected watching the trailer, but that was a good thing. It wasn't a feel-good film about a complex issue. It was a movie that had some frustrating elements because it was a good depiction of real life, and it asked a lot of interesting questions and gave you time to think about that. So... It's a movie you don't want to go to unless you're going to pay attention. But that being said, if you're at this point of the review and you haven't watched it, you're not going to regret it. No, you definitely won't. I think what you just said there touches on it really well. This movie, I would almost argue, isn't necessarily even about the lie that they told to their grandmother. This movie is just about life as a whole, which sounds you know, (laughs) very much like I'm writing a movie trailer right now. (laughs) But that, I mean, obviously that is a, like I said, a big complex part of it, but it also talks about the complexities of families, both nuclear and extended, how we communicate with each other, the things that we deem important and not. And again, the clash of culture, even when you find yourself mixing between the two cultures, because that's what you've grown up in. And again, there's something for pretty much everyone in this movie, you can definitely find something to relate to. And it, it was just a very, very good film. Again, like you said, not a light film, but certainly something very good to watch. So Grant, if somebody... Uh, this feels wrong. You have to do your spiel to me, actually. <laughs> if my score change wasn't enough for you... You can reach me on Twitter at PWGJacob, that is P-W-G-J-A-C-O-B. You can tell me how wrong I was, or maybe how right I was. That being nice is cool too. You can DM me, you can mention me in a tweet. I will get back to you because I want to hear what you have to say. And if you want to talk to me about how my score should have been higher or lower, or about how I just got everything wrong this entire movie was symbolism, even though it was based on real life, <laughs> you can get at me on Twitter at PWG Grant. That is P-W-G-G-R-A-N-T. If you want to get in touch with the podcast as a whole, talk to both me and Jacob, either to recommend movies in the future, to recommend stuff for our industry talk uh, podcast, which again, will be premiering in just a couple of weeks as a separate podcast on the same channel. So continue to subscribe to this if you're interested in that. You can email us at 35millimeterpod at gmail.com. That is 35mmpod at gmail.com. All right, Jacob, I'm looking forward. Well, I'm not looking forward to next week when we're going to be reviewing it too. I know Woo! you're looking forward to it. It it sounds like my nightmare <laughs> um, and it will probably give me nightmares. But until then, I will see all of you next week. 35mm Perspective is a Players with Game production. All opinions within the podcast are our own. Michael Campos is our composer. All rights reserved.